I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, uh, it seems you found me here in the mansion of Leaves of Glen. Uh, if I would have known I was going to this mansion a bit, I wouldn't have named it Leaves of Glen. I would have named it the mansion of Glen, but here we are. Uh, this is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. Uh, this week, we'll be continuing to read uh, from David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. It's the eighth novel by Charles Dickens, uh, first published as a serial and then became a real book, uh, grew up in 1850. And it's considered his most popular work. Uh, a little bit about Charles Dickens. He was born uh, the 7th of February, 1812, and died the 9th of June, 1870. And that's it. I have tapped out all my resources on trying to find anything interesting about this guy. But I do have the article, The Unparalleled Necromancer, which I said that really weird, Necromancer. Uh, it's a mental floss article, uh, so I will read another portion of that. Previous portion, uh, it turns out he pretends to be a, a guy with a mildly racist name. What was it called again? Ria Rama Rus. And he did weird magic tricks, like put someone's ring inside a, a warm loaf of bread. Uh, and so we'll continue on from there. Dickens' interest in theater and performance is well known. Uh, as a boy, he had wanted to be an actor, uh, not a writer. And he may well have ended up in the theater if he had not fallen ill on the day of an important audition, 1832, when he was 20 years old. Even still, before his writing career took off, Dickens wrote, starred in and directed a number of amateur productions in London in the 1830s. Uh, he dedicated Nicholas Nickleby uh, to the renowned Victorian stage actor William McReady. Uh, he packed his novels full of actors, actresses, and other theatrical characters. And uh, whenever he gave public readings of his books, oh, Dickens would always annotate his text with stage directions like beckon down, shudder, uh, look round in terror, to make his performances all the more dramatic. It worked, too. The Scottish critic and historian Thomas Carlyle once called him a whole tragic, comic, heroic theater performing under one hat. So that's fun. Uh, anything new going on in my life? I got a week left before I'm out of work. So there's that, staring that uh, down and looking right back at me with its horrible vacant eyes. We just stare at each other. But I'm actually okay with it. It's not bothering me too much. Uh, I was expecting uh, more racists to break in here to the mansion like they did last time. Uh, but weirdly, they all just kind of went away. Uh, odd. Apparently, the QAnon supporters, realizing that Donald Trump is no longer their, their leader against the fight against pedophiles, uh, he, they suddenly got disheartened, and they just sort of you know, slunk back into their little holes. Uh, 
Weird. What was that about? I'm sure it's not the last we'll see of them, or racists in general, but whatever. Uh, should we do a recap? Yeah, let's do a recap. Last chapter, chapter five, uh, David Copperfield is taking off to school in a little carriage. Peggy is so blindsided by her totally inappropriate love uh, for this little boy. She'd been kissing a keyhole that he was on the other side of, so that's kind of gross. Hate to think how that would have developed if he stayed in that house. Uh, so Peggy goes chasing after the cart and just kisses him, kisses him like crazy, weeping and carrying on. She, uh, she made some little cakes to give him for his trip, which he promptly shares with the coach driver who eats the majority of them because apparently all adults are uh, jerks. Then uh, the coach driver's Barkus, he sees the Peggy thing and says, hey, she, she's single. And then he says, yes. And then he says, ah, well, let her know I'm willing. And that became a running gag, constantly having to remind her that he's willing. And then he goes to school where the staff treats him like crap just to give him a hint of what his life is going to become. So with that, let's dive into the story. All right, I get it. Yeah, I know. I'm drinking coffee at 10 o'clock at night on a weeknight. Uh, screw you. It's not your show. It's my show. And I can do whatever the hell I want. Chapter 6. I enlarge my circle of acquaintance. I led this life about a month. What, with no kids in the school? When the man with the wooden leg began to stump about with a mop and a bucket of water, from which I inferred that preparations were making to receive Mr. Creakle and the boys. No, oh, I was not mistaken, for the, the mop came into the schoolroom before long and turned out uh, Mr. Mel and me, who lived where we could and got on how we could uh, for some days, during which we were always in the way of two or three young women who had rarely shown themselves before and were so continually in the midst of dust that I... Uh, sneezed almost as much as if Salem House had been a, a, a great snuff box. <laughs> One day, I was informed by Mr. Mel that Mr. Creakle would be home that evening. In the evening, after tea, I heard that he was come. Before bedtime, I was fetched by the man with the wooden leg to appear before him. Nah, Mr. Peakle's, uh, Creakle's part in the house was a, was a good deal more comfortable than ours. Uh, he had a snug bit of garden that looked pleasant after dusty playground, which was such a desert in miniature that I thought no one but a camel or a dromedary. Dromedary. Well, let's look that up. Eh, uh, dromedary. An Arabian camel. This is another camel. All right. Sucks to you, Dickens. Uh, could have felt at home in it. It seemed to me a uh, bold thing even to take notice that the passage looked comfortable as I went on my way, trembling to Mr. Creakle's presence, which so abashed me uh, when I was ushered into it that I hardly saw Mrs. Creakle or Miss Creakle, who were both there in the parlor, or anything but Mr. Creakle, a stout gentleman, 
with a bunch of watch chains, seals, and in an armchair with a tumbler and a bottle beside him. So, said Mr. Creakle, this is the young gentleman whose teeth <laughs> are to be filed. Mm, turn him around. The wooden-legged man turned me about so as to exhibit the placard, and having afforded time for a, a full survey of it, uh, turned me about again with my face to Mr. Creakle, and he posted himself at uh, Mr. Creakle's side. Mr. Creakle's face was fiery. Oh, and his, oh, his eyes were small. Uh, uh, deep in his head, weird, like a like a fish or something. He had thick veins in his forehead, Jesus, a little nose, and a large chin. <laughs> what is this head? Is there an illustration for this? I'd love to see what this head looks like. He was, a, he was bald on top of his head and had some uh, thin, wet-looking hair <laughs> that was just turning gray, brushed across each temple so that the two sides interlaced on his forehead. This is terrifying. But the circumstance about him, which impressed me most, uh, was that he had no voice, but he, he spoke in a whisper. Oh, do I got to do that now? The exertion this cost him, or the consciousness of talking in that feeble way, made his angry face so much more angry, and his thick veins so much thicker when he spoke, that I am not surprised, on looking back at this peculiarly striking me as a, a chief one. That had no periods in it. For a person that wrote plays, how do you expect people to say these lines out loud? Now, said Mr. Creakle, what's the report of this boy? Well, there's nothing against him yet, returned the man with the wooden leg. There's been no opportunity. I thought Mr. Creakle was disappointed. I thought Mr. or Mrs. Miss, Mrs. and Miss Creakle, at whom I now glanced for the first time, and who were eh, both thin and quiet. Eh, we're not disappointed. Come here, sir, said Mr. Creakle, beckoning to me. For a person that whispers, there's a lot of exclamation points on his dialogue. Eh, Come here, said the man with the wooden leg, repeating the gesture. I have the happiness of knowing your father-in-law, whispered Mr. Creakle, taking me by the ear. I'll try whispering. We'll see what this is like. And a worthy man he is, and a man of strong character. He knows me, and I know him. Do you know me? Hey, said Mr. Creakle. Pinch, that's not bad. That's creepy. It's appropriately creepy. Pinching my ear with ferocious playfulness. Uh, not yet, sir, I said, flinching with pain. Uh, not, not yet. Hey, repeated Mr. Creakle. Oh, but you will soon. Hey, why does he say hey with a question mark? Hey, you will soon. Hey, repeated the man with the wooden leg. I afterwards found that he generally acted with his strong voice as Mr. Creakle's interpreter to the boys. I was very much frightened and said, I hope so, if he pleased. I felt all this while as if my ear were blazing. He pinched it so hard. I'll tell you what I am, whispered Mr. Creakle, letting it go at last with a, with a screw at parting what brought the water into my eyes. I'm a tartar. A tartar, said the man with the wooden leg. When I say I'll do a thing, I do it, said Mr. Creakle. And when I, and when I say I have a thing done, I will have it done. We'll have a thing done. We'll have it done, repeated the man with the wooden leg. I am a determined character, said Mr. Creakle. That's what I am. I do my duty. That's what I do. My flesh and blood. He looked at Miss Creakle as he said this 
when it rises against me, it is not my flesh and blood. I discard it. Has that fellow, to the man with the wooden leg, been here again? No, was the answer. No, said Mr. Creakle. He knows better. He knows me. Let him keep away. I hate doing the soft voice. Well, we're just going to move on. I say, let him keep away, said Mr. Creakle, striking his hand upon the table and looking at Miss Creakle. For he knows me. Now you've begun to know me too, my young friend, and you may go. Yeah, take him away. I was very glad to be ordered away for Miss, Mrs. and Miss Creakle. Why is that throwing me off? We're both wiping their eyes, and I felt as uncomfortable for them as I did for myself. But I had a petition on my mind which concerned me so nearly that I couldn't help saying, though I wondered at my own courage, If you, if you please, sir, Mr. Creakle whispered, Ha! What's this? And he bent his eyes upon me as if he would have burnt me up with them. Yeah, you... If you please, sir, I faltered, if I might be allowed, I am very sorry indeed, sir, for what I did, to take this writing off before the boys come back. Ah, whether Mr. Creakle was in uh, earnest or whether he only did it to frighten me, I don't know, but he made out a, a burst out of his chair before which I precipitately retreated without waiting for the escort of the man with the wooden leg and never once stopped until I reached my own bedroom, where, finding I was not pursued, I went to bed as it was time and lay quaking for a couple hours, period. That was, again, no periods. <laughs> Why does he write like this? Next morning, Mr. Sharp came back. Ah, Mr. Sharp was the first master and superior to Mr. Mel. Oh, Mr. Mel took his meals with the boys. Uh, Mr. Sharp dined and supped at Mr. Creakle's table. He, he was a limp, delicate-looking gentleman, I thought, with a good deal of nose <laughs> and a way of carrying his head on one side as if it were a little too heavy for him. Ah, his, his hair was very smooth and wavy, but I was informed by the very first boy who came back that it was a, it was a wig, a second-hand one, he said. And then Mr. Sharp went out every Saturday afternoon to, to get it curled. That was no other than Tommy Traddles, who gave me this piece of intelligence. He was the first boy who returned. He introduced himself by informing me that I should find his name on the right-hand corner of the gate over the top bolt. Upon that, I said, eh, Traddles? To which he replied, the same. And then he asked me for a full account of myself and family. It was a happy circumstance for me that Traddles came back first. He enjoyed my placard so much, and he saved me from embarrassment of other disclosure or concealment by presenting to me every other boy who came back, great or small, immediately on his arrival, and in the form of introdu introduction, eh, hey, hey, look here, here's a game. Happily, too, the greater part of the boys came back low-spirited and were not so boisterous at my expense as I had expected. Some of them certainly did dance about me uh, like wild Indians, and the greater part could not resist the temptation of pretending that, that I was a dog, and patting and, and soothing me lest I should bite, and saying, uh, lie down, sir, and calling me Towser. Uh, this was naturally confusing among so many strangers and cost me eh, some tears. That, on the whole, is much better than I anticipated. Is he still wearing the sign around his neck? I was not considered as being formally received into the school, however, until Jay Steerforth arrived. Before this boy, who was reputed to be a great scholar 
and I uh, was very good-looking, and at least a oh, half-dozen years my senior, I was carried as before a magistrate. He inquired under a shed in the playground, oh, that's creepy, into the particulars of my own punishment, and was pleased to express his opinion that it was a, a jolly shame, for which I became bound to him ever afterwards. Well, with that, let's retire back to the, uh, to the, uh, to the bedroom where I could read to you another uh, steamy review of a romance novel. Come on, get in here. I'm prepared to get rough with you. <laughs> here in my silky master bed here in my bedroom. Uh, as I read to you uh, a hockey romance book called Ice Storm by USA Today best-selling author Tracy Goodwin. Yeah, just USA Today. That's unfortunate. You could be a New York Times bestseller if you did minimal amount of effort. How little effort do you do in your career to only be a USA Today best-selling author? It's just a shame. Hey, it's going to be available on April 6th, 2021. Uh, do you want to read about the, about the ice storm? Sure, why not? Hockey's hottest expansion team is back in the latest Nighthawks novel from USA Today best-selling author of Ice Hot and Ice Hard. That is literally the review which is completely insane. I have doesn't say anything about what this ridiculous book is. It's got a picture of a oiled-up, muscular man with ridiculous abs that looked as if they are cut from cream cheese. And he's got some weird tribal tattoos that are totally 1990s, so it's not really a cool guy. Eh, there's got to be more about this. Let's go look into one of the older books. No, here we go. I just clicked on uh, Ice Hot. New York Ice Hot Nighthawks by Tracy Goodwin. At this point that she wrote this, she was not a New York Times bestselling author or even a USA Today bestselling author, so she must have been brand spanking new. But this at least says something about it. Uh, the Nighthawks are hockey's new expansion team. Oh, they're ice hot, and they're all about the chase. <laughs> Christian, uh, they call me a hockey god because I'm the best on the ice. And off! Men want to be me, and women just want me. But now that the New York Nighthawks expect me to lead their team to victory, it's all work and no play. My, my eyes are on the prize until I meet Serena Ellis, a sexy, curvaceous, all right, blonde who doesn't know me from Jack. And just like that, oh, I'm hooked. Serena, I don't do one-night stands, especially with celebrity jocks who date models. Lots of models. Ah, but the god of hockey is a temptation that is hard for mere mortals to resist. And after the best kiss of my life, I'm ready to throw my one-night stand rule out the window, except Christian Chase won't let me. He doesn't want a one-night stand. Oh, oh, he wants it all. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, let's learn a little bit about uh, Tracy, since this one's going to turn out to be so short. Uh, she's a USA Today best-selling and award-winning author. <laughs> Throughout the career spanning a decade, she's achieved both traditional and indie publishing success. She is the author of sexy contemporary romances and sweeping adult historical romances. In addition, uh, Tracy Penn's vivid... Oh, it's taking me to a new page. Oh, there's a picture of her. Oh, Lord. This is a lady who spends a lot of time thinking dirty thoughts in her bathroom. 
Uh, she pens vivid urban fantasy paranormal romance bursting with excitement. Uh, though genres may be different, each story delivers her unique blend of sensuality, poignant emotion, humor, and unforgettable characters that steal readers' hearts. Well, there you go. That turned to be a, turned out to be more than I expected. Eh, put your clothes back on. I'm not horny anymore. Let's go back into the library and finish reading about a little boy in school. Yeah, I know drinking coffee on a podcast is not professional. Screw you. It's my show. I can do anything I want. It's the kind of mood I'm in. I'm in a take-no-crap kind of attitude since I will be unemployed pretty soon. And uh, scary and grubby. Uh, I already walk around in an army jacket my daughter picked out for me, and it's the warmest thing I've ever worn in my entire life. I look like a homeless, creepy guy wandering the streets, walking in the snow with my little uh, warm outfit. And uh, I'm also going to be unemployed soon. So all that compounds into one crabby reader of this book. Well, let's dive in. Uh, What money you got, Copperfield? He said, walking aside with me when he had uh, disposed of my affair in these terms. I told him, eh, seven shillings. Oh, you'd better give it to me to take care of, he said. At least if you can, if you like. You needn't if you don't like. Burp. I burped from coffee. I burped from everything. I hastened to comply with his friendly suggestion. And opening Peggy's purse, that turned it upside down in his hand. Do you want to spend anything now? He asked me. No, thank you, I replied. You can, if you like, you know, said Steerforth. Say the word. No, thank you, sir, I repeated. Perhaps you'd like to spend a couple of shillings or so in a, in a bottle of current wine by and by. How come all these kids are drinking alcohol all the time? In the last chapter, some weird waiter at the restaurant was trying to feed him beer, but then he just drank it himself because he's a jerk. Now, by and by, up in the bedroom. Oh, this is so creepy. And Steerforth uh, said, you belong to my bedroom, I find. This is so creepy. It certainly had not occurred to me before, but I said, yes, I should like that. This is not going very well. Very good, said Steerforth. You'll be glad to spend another shilling or so in in almond cakes, I dare say. I said, yes, I should like that too. And another shilling or so in uh, in biscuits. And another in, in fruit. Eh, said Steerforth. I say, young Copperfield, you, you're going it. You're going it. I smiled because he smiled, but I was a little troubled in my mind, too. Well, said Mr. Steer, Miss, said Steerforth, we must make it stretch as far as we can, and that's all. I'll do the best in my power for you. I can go out when I like, and I'll smuggle the prog in. And with these words, he put the money in his pocket and kindly told me not to make myself uneasy. He would take care it should be all right. He was as good as his word. If that were all right, which I had a secret misgiving was nearly all wrong, for I feared it was a waste of my mother's two half-crowns, though I had preserved the piece of paper they were wrapped in, which was a precious saving. When we went upstairs to bed, he produced the whole seven shillings worth and uh, laid it out of my bed in the moonlight, saying, There you are, young Copperfield, and a royal spread you've got. I couldn't think of 
doing the honors of the feast at the time of my life when he was by, and my hand shook at the very thought of it. I begged him to do me the favor of uh, presiding, and my request being seconded by the other boys who were in the room, he ascended to it and sat upon my pillow, handing round the viands. And with the perfect fairness, I must say, and dispensing the current wine in a little glass uh, without a foot, which was his own property. As to me, I sat on his left hand, and the rest were grouped about us, and on the nearest beds on the floor. How well I recollect our sitting there, talking in whispers, or their talking, and my respectfully listening. I ought rather to say, the moonlight falling a little way into the room through the window. This is all just weird. I mean, okay, the, the sexual tension died down pretty quick, so I'm pretty relieved about that. But now they're just sitting in the moonlight, miners, drinking whispering to each other, breathily. This is horrible. Painting a pale window on the floor, and the greater part of us in the shadow, except for when Steerforth dipped a match into the phosphorus box uh, when he wanted to look for anything on the board, and shed a blue glare over us uh, that was gone directly. A certain mysterious feeling consequent in the darkness and the secrecy of revel and the whisper in which everything was said steals over me again and I listen to all they tell me with a vague feeling of solemnity and awe which makes me glad that they are so near and frightens me though I feign to laugh when Traddles pretends to to see a ghost (laughs) in the corner. I heard all kinds of things about the school and all belonging to it. I heard that Mr. Creakle had not preferred his claim uh, to being a tartar without reason, that he was the sternest and most severe of masters uh, that he had laid about him, right and left, every day of his life, charging in among the boys like like a trooper and slashing away unmercifully. That he knew nothing himself but the art of slashing, uh, being more ignorant, Jay Steerforth said, than the lowest boy in the school. That he had been, a good many years ago, a small hop dealer in the borough. I don't know what that is. I'm not going to look it up. And had taken to the schooling business after being bankrupt in hops. Hops like beer? And making away with Miss Creakle's money. With a good deal more of that sort, and which I wondered how they knew. I heard that the man with the wooden leg, whose name was Tungay, was an obstinate barbarian who had formerly assisted in the hop business, but had come into the scholastic line with Mr. Creakle in consequence, as was supposed among the boys, of having broken his leg in Mr. Creakle's service and having done a deal of dishonest work for him. And knowing his secrets, I heard that, with the single exception of Mr. Creakle, uh, Tongay uh, considered the whole establishment, uh, masters and, and boys, as his natural enemies, and that the only delight of his life was to be sour... And, uh, I swear I just saw a mouse. Nope, I guess I didn't. I'm hallucinating. From coffee at 10 o'clock at night. Well, that was disturbing. My skin is tingling. Uh, who had not been Tungay's friend and who, assisting in the school, had once held some uh, remonstrance with his father on an occasion when its discipline was very cruelly exercised and was supposed, besides, to have protested against his father's usage of his mother. Oh my god, there's no periods, and that's like two pages worth of text. <laughs> I heard that Mr. Creakle had turned him out of doors in consequence, and that Mrs. and Miss Creakle had been in a sad way ever since. But the greatest wonder that I heard of Mr. Creakle was there being one boy in the school on whom he never ventured to lay a hand, 
and that boy, Jay Steerforth. Oh, Steerforth himself confirmed this when he was stated and said that he should like to begin to see him do it on being asked by a mild boy, not me, how he would proceed if he did begin to see him do it. He dipped a match into his phosphorus box on purpose to shed a glare over his reply and said he would uh, commence by knocking him down with a blow on the forehead from the seven and sixpenny ink bottle that had always been on his mantelpiece, period. Oh, this is tough. We sat in the dark room for some time, breathless. I heard that Mr. Sharp and Mr. Mel were both supposed to be wretchedly paid, and that when there was hot and cold meat for dinner at Mr. Creakle's table, Mr. Sharp was always expected to, to say he preferred cold, which was again corroborated by J. Steerforth, the only parlor boarder. I heard that Mr. Sharp's wig didn't fit him, and he needn't be so bounceable, in quotes. Somebody else said bumptious, in quotes, about it, because his own red hair was very plainly to be seen behind. I heard that uh, that one boy, who was a, a coal merchant's son, came as a set-off against the coal bill and was called on that account exchange or barter, a name selected from the arithmetic book as expressing this arrangement, I heard that the table beer was a a robbery of parents and the pudding an imposition. I heard that Miss Creakle was regarded by the school in general as being in love with Mr. Steerforth and and I'm sure burp as I sat in the dark thinking of his nice voice and his fine face and his easy manner and his curling hair. I thought it very likely. I heard that Mr. Mel was not a, a bad sort of fellow but hadn't a sixpence to bless himself with, and that there was no doubt that old Mrs. Mel, his his mother, was as poor as Job. As Job? Maybe Job. I don't know. I thought of my breakfast then, and uh, what it sounded like, my Charlie. But I was, and I'm glad to remember, as mute as a mouse about it. The hearing of all this, and a good deal more outlasted the banquet some time, and the greater part of the guests had gone to bed, as soon as the eating and drinking were over, and we, who had remained whispering and listening half undressed, at last betook ourselves to bed, too. Good night, young Copperfield, said Steerforth. I'll take care of you. Yeah, yeah. You're very kind, I gratefully returned. I am very much obliged to you. Oh, you haven't haven't got a sister, have you? Said Steerforth, yawning. "Eh, No, I answered. That's a pity, said Steerforth. If you you had one, I should think she would have been a a pretty timid, little, bright-eyed sort of girl. (laughs) I should should have liked to have known her. Good night, young Copperfield. So he's basically just getting worked up over a non-existent sister. (laughs) Good night, sir, I replied. I thought of him very much after I went to bed and raised myself, I recollect, to to look at him where he lay in the moonlight. Oh, boy, the steam is back on, with his handsome face turned up. Oh, boy, and his head reclining easily on his arm. It is a person of great power in my eyes. That was, of course, the reason of my mind running on him. He's drawn to power. No veiled future dimly glanced upon him in the moonbeams. There was no shadowy picture of his footsteps in the garden that I dreamed of walking in all night.
Well, that was a delightfully short little chapter, uh, which is kind of refreshing because the other ones are pretty long. And so it's very unfortunate that I made coffee at 10 o'clock at night because now I'm just going to be up all night uh, for no good reason. But what does it matter? Uh, Nothing has any meaning, uh, as we've learned here in America over the last year or four. And, uh, and I'll be out of a job soon. I don't know. Not here to bring you guys down. Let's recap the story. Uh, we learn that sweet little Davy has got to wear a sign around his neck, thanks to the jerks that are running the school while all the boys are away on holiday. Uh, he gets to meet Mr. Creakle, who I guess is kind of like the principal, and he's a, a big jerk, and he's probably, the way he's described, the ugliest man ever alive. I will have to look up a picture of him, and uh, there's kind of no way for me to share it here on the show, but just stare at it myself, probably while I'm in the bathroom, uh, going to the bathroom, and just look at it, and just be glad I'm not him. And then the boys come back, and they're all nice to him. Uh, there's uh, one kid who uh, is beautiful, older, and and uh, suddenly wants to take his money. And then wants to buy a bunch of stuff with it. He says, oh, I'll hold on to your money. Don't you worry. So this all seems horrible. But it turns out he's a nice guy after all. They all share a room together, which I didn't realize was uh, part of the deal. But uh, luckily for us, it was non-sexual until the very end where he watches this kid sleep and fawns over him. So let's hope this doesn't go uh, go south. What's good about this story? Eh, it's good to see that uh, little Davy's got friends. Uh, I figured he was going to be treated badly by the adults, as he has been throughout this whole story, and that he would continue to be treated poorly by the other students. I think he's still walking around with a sign on his neck. So, uh, what sucks? Eh, nothing so far. It's a good story. I mean, I guess if you're looking at the story itself, it sucks that he's walking around with a sign on his neck still. Uh, do the kids make him still wear it as they're sitting around drinking his wine? I guess underage drinking is also something that sucks for these kids that are like nine. Uh, what do we learn? Ah, the fellowship of youth. To sit around with the boys and drink wine. Heck, this weekend, my friend Corey came over. He didn't know that down here in my podcast studio basement, uh, up in the rafters uh, of the basement... Uh, somebody who lived here back in the 80s left a pornography magazine. It's a a hustler, I believe, from 1987. And uh, I pulled it down and saw that it's uh, disturbing. Porn back then was really gross. Real, real gross. Just a lot of... I don't even want to describe it. So anyways, I showed that to Corey, and then he said, Oh, my! how long has this been here? And I said, Since... uh, Somebody remodeled this basement in the 80s. And he said, geez, we were in 6th or 7th grade when this thing was put down here. And I said, I know. And then we both laughed at some of the horrible pictures. Somebody went through and actually numbered the pictures. I think it was a ranking. They took a little ballpoint pen and did a numbers 1 through 10 with some happy faces and stars next to them and stuff. So someone is going through doing a, a hotornot.com on all of the naked ladies in this magazine which I never noticed before, thank God for Corey, Uh, but it reminded me of when Corey, my childhood friend, and I used to run around in this sort of wooded area behind his house where there was a small creek that actually was a runoff from the factory nearby that pumped out weirdly warm uh, water into this creek 
strangely warm. We used to kind of like sit in it like it was a hot tub. And I'm probably going to get cancer from it. Uh, It made all the plants around it red, bright red, like the fires of hell. So we'd sit around in that thing and somebody left porn around there and we just sat there looking at it. Ah, youth. Well, with that, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I will read chapter seven uh, later this week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So I got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.